This is Help Wanted, the show that tackles all the big work questions you cannot ask anyone else. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And I'm New York Times bestselling author and money expert, Nicole Lappin. The helpline is open. Today's episode is a tale of two helpline messages. Here's the first. Hey, Jason and Nicole. My name's Jake, and I have about 10,000 followers on TikTok, and I'm starting to think about how to monetize my content. How many followers do I need before I can approach brands for deals, and how do you think I should go about getting them? And here's the second. Hey, Helpline, I'm opening up a bed and breakfast in Vermont in the next year, and we're working on our marketing strategy for launch. What are your thoughts on influencer marketing? Because we had listeners wanting answers on both sides of the influencer marketing coin, Jason and I decided to phone a friend, Chris Dietert. I'll let him introduce himself, but spoiler alert, he's someone who's uniquely qualified to speak to both the perspective of the brands and the perspective of the influencers. So let's get Chris on the line. Chris Dietert, welcome to Help Wanted. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So we've known each other for, what, 100,000 years? Something, but we're still under 30. (laughs) That's right. Of course. (laughs) Um, For those of our listeners who might not know you, can you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm the chief communications officer at Influential, world's largest influencer marketing company. And what does that mean? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So influencer marketing is the practice of having creators or influencers, as they're called, people who have high follower count and actual influence on specific audiences. In about 2008, the internet evolved into the social media era. When that happened, a lot of people started to create content. Those exceptional people started to kind of bubble up. And as people realized that this is a new advertising medium, all of a sudden the wild west of social media was born. And we got into the game My brother is actually our CEO, and he had started ideas around it probably 2010 or 11. The company actually took shape 2013. We launched formally in 2014. And we're still considered, I mean, we're almost on 10 years now as a company. So we're still considered one of the early companies of the space. So it's funny to think that we're like old school in a space that's so nascent. But what was fortunate about that was that we found that there were a lot of gaps in what was making this a actual line item budget to the major media holding companies, to advertising agencies, to brands. And so we sought out to fill all of those issues and create technology and continue to innovate. And I think that that's what's made us the largest company in the space. We're the largest company by revenue in the space. So I think that's a good definer. I mean, there might be people who have more staff. I'm not sure of that. But I mean, we represent 60% of the Fortune 500. We work with the biggest brands that you've all heard of, all the major sports leagues, and we deliver actual return on ad spend. And that's what ultimately for marketers is the measurability is, you know, that you can measure what you're doing and that it brings it back to financial success for the company. And that's what gets people. We have basically a 90% retention rate with clients. And if we can keep getting them great recognition for their brand, but then also moving the needle in sales and brand awareness, then, you know, that's sort of our metric for success. How did you know I was going to ask about metrics? I was going to double click on like, tell me why you're the world's largest. Uh, By (laughs) revenue, approximately, how much are you guys bringing in? I don't want to say specifically, but we're doing hundreds of millions of dollars at this point. 
So you work with the likes of McDonald's and the NFL. I mean, I don't know how many yeah, brands you, we can say, but. Nailed it. I mean, those are two of our biggest, longest standing clients. The NBA, Walmart, Pepsi, Nestle. So we have two questions into the helpline that you can help with. The first is on the influencer side. So you talk about creators, you talk about people bubbling to the top in the early parts of influencing on the internet. Who are those people? How can you be one of those people? At what point are you an influencer? And how can you start getting influencer money from those brands that you represent? It's interesting that you say that because the aperture for that just continues to get wider. It used to be, you know, you have to have like, 100,000 plus followers. I mean, our early metric for what an influencer was, was like 50,000. That at least means that you can reach an audience at scale. And so that started as kind of the thought process. And then all of a sudden, new things came into the lexicon that became trendy, like, you know, micro influencers. And now there's nano influencers. And I mean, you guys are big deals. So like, you guys are probably just regular influencers. Oh, but, like, stop. You, you know, even even normal people can be an influencer now. What's a nano influencer? A nano influencer is defined as somebody who's like a thousand followers, probably I think like a thousand to like 5,000 or something like that. It really comes down to like specialty. So there's all these abilities to reach audiences now using paid media. So if you find the perfect thousand followership creator that just knows they're a domain expert on whatever that they're doing, like they know fishing or whatever it is, basket weaving better than anybody. And a client is looking to target an audience with that sort of speciality, that is going to be a great person. And what's good about it is that along with the size of their followership, their money is very minimal. So you can pay a nano influencer, you know, you could actually even barter with them. You could give them a Starbucks certificate. They'll probably be happy with that. <laughs> basket but, to weave. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Here's some free basket weaving tools. Go at it. But I mean, generally speaking, you can do a few hundred dollars to get certain people that aren't of like huge value audiences. You're speaking about that from the brand side, but let's talk about it for a second from the nano influencer side, because I bet there are a lot of people listening right now who are like, wait a second, I have one to 5,000 followers. I also am an expert in basket weaving. So how does that person actually start making some money? Do they sit around and wait for a brand to recognize them? Or is there somewhere they could go? I'm not going to promote any uh, competitors here because we don't do much of the very, very small stuff. If you want to contact Influential, that would be my recommendation above all else. But I mean, there are tons of companies out there the creator economy is now in the $20 billion range. So there's a ton of companies that see this opportunity. And not everyone can be the biggest influencer marketing company in the world. There's got to be a second, third, and down to a thousand. So just as simple as searching on the internet, you can find all of these different companies. There's all of these different agencies that now rep talent. And so it really comes down to being intentional about something, deciding I am this sort of influencer, putting the content out that begets that sort of audience, you know, having your bio say things specifically about it, having it link out to a website that talks about whatever your speciality is. So it's really about framing. And I mean, a lot of it is fake it till you make it. There are people out there that actually do hashtag ad and it's BS. Like they actually are not promoting anything. They want people to believe that they're real. <laughs> That's insane to me because, you know, the first brand deals that I did, I was like embarrassed that I was doing them and I wanted I to know. hide. Can I just say to that thing about hiding? So 
I have built not the size of following that Nicole has, but you know, I got something. I got a couple people who care about me. And I have done almost no brand deals. But recently a brand reached out to me and they offered me, I, I have like 70 something thousand followers on LinkedIn. They offered me five grand. You can tell me if this is a good deal or not. They offered me five grand to do a single post about their brand on LinkedIn. And they gave me full control, right? Like you write whatever you want and just show it to us. And I thought, well, sure. If someone's going to pay me $5,000 to post on LinkedIn, I guess I should. Now, the thing that I was most worried about was that people were going to think, the people who follow me were going to think, this is so annoying that you are hitting me with an ad. But I will tell hawking you, something, yeah, yeah, hawking something. But I will tell you what was completely fascinating about this. I posted this thing and people were like, great ad, like literally in the comments. That was so good. Or wow, that's really interesting. Or, you know, like they engaged with the idea that I put out there. They had comments about it. They didn't see it as a bad thing. They saw it as me doing a good job, bringing them information through my own personality. And that was the most wild part about this to me, which is that we have not just reached a place where this is a marketplace, but rather that this is a marketplace that people aren't just used to, but actually engage with. And doesn't that feel good? Like the fun part about it is that like the reason you have an audience is because people admire you, people want to hear what you have to say, and they trust you especially because your content 100% of the time otherwise has just been you and about what you're thinking about and about what you're putting out into the world. So you come with a very, very infrequent ad and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh my God, we love Jason and we want to see him make some money and we're happy for him. Like I see that all the time and I'm like stoked for people. Yeah. And I think there's a balance to that. Like you don't want to be what we call a NASCAR hood where you just have every <laughs> single plan and you're slacking it on there. I make it akin to, and this is old, you know, 40 something me. It's like a magazine. You know, if you see a good magazine, you're like 20 pages of content and occasional ad. Cool. I'm okay with that. You get a really crappy magazine that has like an ad every other page. It looks like they're about to go out of business because they're just filling it with ads. That's annoying. And that's a bad experience. So I would say that your feed is akin to that magazine concept where you give people great content. And then every once in a while, you have that. And if they don't want to watch it, they don't have to. They can scroll past it. And then the other part of that is actually doing ads that are endemic to what you do. Don't be out there like doing something that makes no sense for your audience to be selfish and take money. People notice that. And you see that actually when influencers or creators make a misstep, their audience will keep them honest on it. If it really sucks, they're going to tell them. But generally speaking, if you don't do it all that often and you do relevant content to your audience, I mean, you might actually drive some sales for the company because what you said was, was it actually relevant coming from a trusted voice? And that's really what influencer marketing is all about. It's word of mouth scale. So how do we, if we want to reach out to Influential or another agency, what do we say? You hit the contact page, you tell them who you are, what you do, you send links to all your social channels. And typically speaking, companies like mine have a creator partnerships, creator relations team that will review this stuff. And, you know, we have almost 4 million creators in our system. And so it's like you know, a database. Yeah. And we went the opposite route of everybody in the industry in the early days. We don't represent talent. We represent the world's biggest brands. And we have data and technology and a, a network of influencers that we can hand select from when they make the most sense for the campaign. And that does the best for the brands because 
then you're not beholden to talent. You're not stuffing an influencer. You're not taking Nicole Lappin and putting her in because you need to get her a deal so she doesn't fire you. You're actually doing what's best for the brand and giving them people that actually make sense based on demographics, psychographics, contextual relevancy. So you guys actually read those submissions? Because I yeah. think sometimes when you put those submissions in, you're like, nobody's ever going to see this. I mean, I see really bad ones sometimes and I just kind of laugh. But yeah, I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. So when people are reaching out to you guys because they feel like they've built enough of an audience that it's time to monetize, what are they doing wrong and how can we learn to do better? This is a funny thing, and I'm sure you guys have probably heard this. The number one thing in schools now, when they ask what they want to be when they grow up, it's an influencer. It's a creator. Everybody sees this as a ticket to fast money, living the easy life, which is not really true. Like the really good ones have to work really hard to make that happen. But for all the excellent people out there, there's a lot of people who are average and below average, and some are completely abysmal. The ones who send in stuff that is completely misspelled, and they have no idea how to do grammar. They have awful photos and they don't even have a domain expertise. They think that they're good at something that they're clearly not good at. And what they're missing is something that I have discovered in interviewing people who have built tremendous followings, which is that these people understand business and they usually have either a background in or at least a very good intuitive understanding of marketing. Yeah. Every creator is a small business and is an entrepreneur. So some people are really good at that. And some people should have a job. And that's just the way the world works. Stick around. Help Wanted will be right back. Nicole, have you ever thought about the one that got away? Jason, I am happily in a relationship. You know that. No, the hire that got away. Someone that you thought was perfect for your team, but ah, they were already with another employer. Oh, well, in that case, yeah, I think about her all the time. Well, it's not too late. You can reach out to that person on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals that you can't find anywhere else, even people who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, looks like it's time for me to shoot my shot. Do it. And I know you may have your heart set on one person, but if you do want to open it up and post a role to a bigger applicant pool, you can do it for free at linkedin.com slash help wanted. And because there are so many professionals on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. So you'll never have a one that got away again. Incredible. That's linkedin.com slash help wanted. Yep. LinkedIn.com slash help wanted. Terms and conditions apply. Happy hiring ever after. Nicole, have you ever thought about the one that got away? Jason, I am happily in a relationship. You know that. No, the hire that got away. Someone that you thought was perfect for your team, but ah, they were already with another employer. Oh, well, in that case, yeah, I think about her all the time. Well, it's not too late. You can reach out to that person on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals that you can't find anywhere else, even people who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, looks like it's time for me to shoot my shot. 
do it. And I know you may have your heart set on one person, but if you do want to open it up and post a role to a bigger applicant pool, you can do it for free at linkedin.com slash help wanted. And because there are so many professionals on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. So you'll never have a one that got away again. Incredible. That's linkedin.com slash help wanted. Yep. LinkedIn.com slash help wanted. Terms and conditions apply. Happy hiring ever after. Welcome back to Help Wanted. Let's get to it. When do you think influencers stopped being a dirty word? I remember Kim Kardashian doing her monologue on SNL and she really just owned the phrase. She was like, I'm an influencer. And it had more gravitas than I expected. You know, it's funny because we named the company Influential and people now call them creators more. And TikTok really ran with that. Calling people an influencer like bothers them. Now, I still don't think people, I mean, it's still a negative connotation, I feel like, especially with older people. But hmm. it's been here for a while. It's going to stay. So I think over time, people just get over it. So we also have questions in from entrepreneurs who are starting businesses. They don't know if they're big enough or can have a big enough budget to afford you guys, for instance, or to have an influencer campaign in general or how they're going to track it because it all feels a little squishy. What would you say is like a good starting out budget for a brand as they're growing? I mean, it's completely subjective. If we're talking about a company that started on 20 grand, I would say maybe like 10% might be like a decent place to earmark. It's different for every business. Of revenue? Yeah, I would say so. That could be your entire marketing budget. But also when you're a small company, your entire marketing budget could go towards influencer marketing because you don't have the luxury of being able to spend in so many different places. And it backs up that influencer marketing brings money back to people better than other mediums. So, you know, all you have to do is be like a heady marketer, like think in terms of what do I want to do and how do I accomplish it without breaking the bank? So from the brand perspective, you talk about this technology that you have and you analyze metrics and your fellow data nerds. Cool. So without giving us your proprietary secret fancy sauce, what are you measuring? Yeah, we're measuring everything from likes, comments, shares, sentiment. You know, Sentiment? We, yeah, we can actually track sentiment on things. Are people talking positively? Like when you go into the comments after somebody's posted something, are people saying nice things? Are they saying mean things? Are they saying neutral things? We can measure all of that sort of stuff. So we know if a campaign is going well based on a variety of different measurabilities. And that's one of them. So when a brand has money or is allocating and they're thinking about hiring an agency, how much does the agency take? Generally speaking, I would say like 20% is sort of industry standard, but it can vary. It can be, you know, based on performance. Like if some campaigns, if you do really well, you can probably keep a little bit more money. But, you know, a lot of companies want standardization and want transparency. And so sometimes we literally have to show them like, this is exactly how much we spend on influencers. This is what's spent on paid media. And then at the end of it, this is what we end up getting. And sometimes if it doesn't go well, then our margins get even smaller than 20%. Because ultimately we have to deliver on a CPM, like CPM meaning cost per malign, which is cost per thousand. So we have to make sure that we deliver on our media guarantees. And so if that requires that we have to dip into what was deemed the profit to make sure that happens, 
You know, there's a reason why we have a 90% client retention rate. We're not in the business of doing one-off deals. We want to build, cultivate long-term relationships with the world's biggest and best brands. And however we need to do that, we're going to do that. So what should brands be looking at as major KPIs besides CPM? Like, what do you think is something that people are not watching closely enough and should be? When it comes to like our clients, we've gotten very sophisticated and we actually can measure things like put traffic into stores. Like I was saying earlier with QSR, quick service restaurants, the McDonald's of the world. Did somebody see an ad and walk into a store? Another side of that, when you're talking about like grocery stores, big box drug stores, we can actually measure through loyalty card data. You know, you have a card or a number that you punched in when you're at the register. The reason that you get a discount on your purchase is because that then tracks back to data and analytics that brands use. And so they're willing to give you a small discount on your basket purchase in exchange for that information. And so we're actually able to measure at certain retailers, did someone see an ad and go into a store and buy something? That's actually the greatest metric of all. If you can actually prove that you're generating sales at the register, that's a huge thing. Another thing is like, we deal with a lot of the big streaming companies and the big network television companies. We actually can measure, did somebody see something on a social ad and then go tune in and watch something? So TV tune and lift is another element of that. So there's a million different ways to like classify success, obviously like brand lift and sentiment tracking. And I mean, it really goes down a spiral of nerdiness that we probably shouldn't even go that deep <laughs> down. But I mean, it's, it's, it's very impressive. It makes my nerd heart happy. It really does. Because, you know, I think it's important as we're talking about measuring to metrics to understand what those are and also to find attribution, right? If you're promising a brand that they're going to get certain metrics, but maybe it was nebulous, like, I don't know, like they didn't go to this exact link, but did they Google it and did it come from my thing or did it not? And so I think, you know, a lot of companies, big and small, are trying to figure out what the best attribution methods are. Yeah, absolutely. I think at the higher levels, the things that I just mentioned are sort of like the gold standard of what measurability is. If you're getting that kind of a result, in anything. If you give a dollar and you get a dollar 25 back, that's good stuff. You're going to keep doing that. So, you know, that's what we aim for. Help Wanted is a production of Money News Network. Help Wanted is hosted by me, Jason Pfeiffer. And me, Nicole Lappin. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. If you want some help, email our helpline at helpwanted at moneynewsnetwork.com for the chance to have some of your questions answered on the show. And follow us on Instagram at Money News and TikTok at Money News Network for exclusive content and to see our beautiful faces. Maybe a little dance? Oh, I did sign up for that. All right. Well, talk to you soon.